Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I am presenting a series of broadcasts on the subject of tongues, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. Now, in the previous broadcasts, I was establishing the foundation as described in Acts chapter 2 that the gift of tongues, or more specifically, the gift of languages, is definitely a known language to the speaker and a known language to the hearer. The uniqueness of the gift or the manifestation that is certainly a miracle of God is that the person who is speaking will be speaking in a language that they know and the person who is hearing will be hearing in a different language that they know. That is the uniqueness of this gift. That is the miracle that the Holy Spirit of God would perform the miraculous translation between the two to the extent that it would allow for clear communication of whatever it was that was being said. That's the important point of understanding this subject is that this is to enable for clear communication. The purpose of it is to eliminate confusion or at least eliminate the possibility of confusion and uncertainty and to also validate the truth of what is being said by the clarity and by the miraculous nature of what is being said conveyed in the way that it is through the miracle of the living God performing the actual translation between the two and presenting the clear and understandable communication between the two. That is the clear definition of this gift as it was described in Acts chapter 2 in the events that took place there. From there I went forward into Acts chapter 10 and explained the event of Cornelius, especially as it relates to Acts chapter 11, to understand that the main purpose for that event, the main purpose for the miracle of tongues being expressed there, was to validate the truth that a Gentile could actually be saved. And then again, in Acts chapter 19, it was expressed in order to assert the truth that the Ephesians would receive salvation by the restoration of the Spirit of life of the Holy Spirit, and it is through the baptism by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ that a person is actually saved. I then went into 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, there is a description of praying in another language. And many people will look at this and suggest that this explains or shows, demonstrates that there is a unique prayer language that a person can acquire that will enable them to communicate with their God. It could perhaps be an angelic language. And that's what many people believe, and they use this passage in scriptures in order to assert that particular belief. I did explain in the previous broadcast that the main purpose for the first few verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is to present an editorial exaggeration about the subject of love, and that Paul did not say that he spoke with an angelic language any more than he was a burn victim, that he gave his body to be burned. Reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, we can see this, where it says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. 
and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. That's the purpose for what he is writing here, is to make an editorial exaggeration about the subject of love. Not to say, necessarily, that he is praying in some kind of angelic language that he doesn't know or understand. In today's program, I'm going to move forward and talk about 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is probably the most challenging chapter when it comes to this subject, especially because of 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 2. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 2, it says, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him, however in the spirit he speaks mysteries. What many people believe is that if a person understands what they are saying, then they are not speaking mysteries. And if they are going to be speaking in a tongue, then they would be speaking to God. Now, this is a very difficult passage to understand only because people are looking at this passage from their perspective, from the perspective of their experiences, not considering the foundationary definition that was presented in Acts. Considering the foundationary definition that was presented in Acts chapter 2, if you were to consider that, then looking at this verse, this does appear to be something distinct from what was presented there. When talking about the subject of tongues in Acts, it was clearly an opportunity for people to talk to each other, convey things to each other in a clear and understandable way, and so that there was no confusion with regards to what was being said. That was the miracle of the gift. But here there is the appearance that if you understand what you are saying to God, then it's probably not the gift of tongues. That's what many people are saying. That's how many people interpret this, because they are interpreting it from the point of view of their experiences. Well, I also will interpret this from the point of view of my own experiences. My experiences are certainly very different. Growing up in Judaism and being a participant in the synagogue, I will look at a verse like this and I will interpret it very differently because I do not come from the background of what is normally referred to as the Pentecostal or Charismatic movement. And so because of that, you should anticipate that there would be some differences just because I come from a bit of a different background. Now, understanding that, I do recognize that many people come from different backgrounds and they have different experiences and they will interpret this on the basis of their experiences and when they do that, they will likely come to different conclusions. I am fully willing to acknowledge that. What I am doing in this broadcast is presenting what I believe, what it is that I understand, and while it may not agree with what you believe, the purpose of this program is not to necessarily try to convince you otherwise. It is only to describe to you what I see here in the scriptures and that there is another way to look at this. When we consider the premise that was outlaid in Acts chapter 2, I would anticipate that the focus of tongues as a gift, as a manifestation of the Spirit of God, the focus of it would be to allow for clear communication, not just between each other, but also between us and our God. And so when I read a passage like this, I would certainly hesitate to interpret it on the basis of, well, this means that I should not be able to understand what I am saying to my God, because if I was to do that, I would think that this would deviate a bit too far away from the true gift of the Holy Spirit, the true gift of tongues, as was presented in Acts chapter 2. I would really hesitate to explain it in that context. 
If you continue to read in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, however, there is a very important conclusion that Paul gives that we should definitely not ignore, and that is given in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 15, where he says, What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. Now, here's a clear distinction here about this chapter and about this passage in scriptures that does fit together in a very cohesive way, starting from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, all the way into verse 15, 16, 17, even down into verse 19. From verse 1 to verse 19, we have a solid passage that is definitely conveying a related thought. Now, there is a distinction here, and that is important to see. And that is if you consider verse 2, where he says, For he who speaks in an unknown tongue does not speak to men but to God. And then in verse 15, that he will also pray with the understanding as his conclusion. There is obviously an expression here that we have a decision to make, that a person actually has a choice to make in the context of what is being described here. That in this context, a person has an option. A person can either pray in a way that they do not understand, or they can pray in a way that they do understand. And that's what I'd like to focus on here, is that there is an option that is being presented. And so given that there is an option, I'm willing to suggest that this is not necessarily referring to the gift of tongues as was described in Acts chapter 2. That this is not necessarily referring to the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in some gifted sense. But here a decision is being made. And Paul is saying that you can decide to do one thing or another, that there is no uncontrolled expression that is being presented here, but there is a controlled expression that a person can make a distinctive decision to speak in a language or not speak in a language. And that's the best interpretation of this, is to understand that there is a choice to be made and it has to do with the speaking of a language. You see, in Acts chapter 2, the examples that we have is that there is no control being given. There is no choice being made. A person is speaking in the way that they understand, in the way that they are choosing to speak, and a person is hearing, not in the way that they choose to hear, but the miraculous translation of the Holy Spirit presents the words to them in a way that they can understand. Here, there is definitely a distinction that is being made, and my suggestion is that the distinction is that a person can choose to speak in a different language whether or not they understand what that language is. Now, there's a hint that's given here, and that's found in verse 15, what I just read. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. He's talking about a group meeting. He's talking about a fellowship of believers. And when you consider the assembly of believers, you should also consider their procedures, their protocol for how they would meet together their service that they would establish in order to have some sense of order and in order to proceed productively with a limited amount of time that they would have at their disposal. So if you were to look at this from the perspective of a general service, then there is a different point of view you can acquire. Now, I understand, as I described earlier, that many people have a background in several different denominations, which will give them a bias in terms of how they interpret this, especially if the denomination has been around for 100 or 200 years, And they have a significant history in terms of how they meet together and how they are organized. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to describe this passage in scriptures from the context of a meeting in a synagogue. 
You see, just as you may have experienced a religious service in a Pentecostal or a charismatic type congregation, you should also consider what it would be like to experience a service in a synagogue. Because what we have here in Corinth is we have people who more than likely came out of a synagogue. And that's a very important thing to understand is that this is what their background would be also. Their background is not a background of a Pentecostal church or a charismatic church. Their background is in a Judaic synagogue, and that will most likely have a significant influence on what they are going to experience in their time together as they are meeting together to grow in their knowledge of and their relationship with the Messiah. This is an important thing to understand. Now, one of the key aspects of a meeting in a synagogue, of a service, of a time when people would get together and assemble to worship their God. One of the key aspects of this is that the services were always conducted in the Hebrew language. That's a very important point to understand, is that in the synagogue, the Hebrew language is a language that is used for prayer. It is a language that is used for singing. It is the language that is used in order to pray to God, in order to speak to Him, In order to sing praises to him, that is the language that you use. And in the synagogue, it is effectively the only language that you use. If you were to use any other language, then you would in some ways offend your God, or at least that is the undercurrent that is often presented, depending upon the congregation, of course. There are different congregations. There are ultra-Orthodox and Orthodox and conservative and Reformed, and they all look at this a little bit differently. But if we were to consider the Orthodox type of congregations, those who would be considered to be more devoted to their pursuit of the Torah, their pursuit of the Law of Moses, and their pursuit of a relationship with God, this is how they experience their time of worship and prayer. They do so only by speaking in the language that God spoke to us in. The language that our God spoke to us in is Hebrew, and so that is the only language that people will pray to God or sing to God with in order to ensure, perhaps, that there is going to be some clear communication, perhaps a little bit more authority being presented, a little bit more continuity, a little bit more closeness, in effect, if you were to look at it that way, in terms of how we are going to communicate with our God with the expectation that we are going to experience a relationship with Him. Praying in the Hebrew language is vital, is a critical part of worship in a synagogue. When the Pharisees would then travel from Israel out into the surrounding nations, they went and they established synagogues. Now when they did that, you can expect that they set those synagogues up in the same way that they were set up in Israel. They would go into the communities, they would recruit people, they would evangelize and recruit people into establishing a synagogue to worship the true and living God. And when they would do this, they would do this in a similar way that they were doing it back in Israel. They would bring the people together and they would do what? They would teach them Hebrew. They would not necessarily teach them how to converse in the Hebrew language, but they would teach them how to pray in Hebrew. They would teach them how to sing in Hebrew. This is what was happening in Israel. Why would you expect it to be any different if the Pharisees go out into the Gentile world? It was the same. That was exactly what they did. And they have been doing this throughout the course of history, even to this day. Even to this day, the same doctrines of the Pharisees are still being presented by the descendants of the Pharisees. Absolutely, that is what is happening to this day. And so back then, you shouldn't be surprised if this was also happening. Now in Israel, people did not speak Hebrew on a daily basis, not during the time of the Lord Jesus. 
people were speaking in Aramaic. They were not speaking in Hebrew. Hebrew was reserved for the synagogue, but Aramaic was used in daily life and on the street. Not everybody learned Hebrew, believe it or not. Many people only learned Aramaic, and while there are some significant similarities, there are enough differences to make the languages distinct. And so again, when people would go to visit the synagogue, they would be told to pray only in Hebrew, not in Aramaic, and many people did not clearly understand what they were saying. Many people did not clearly understand what they were singing, but that was okay, or at least that's what was being taught. It was being taught that it was okay because that was the language that God understood. And to this day, the same message is being communicated. You only pray in Hebrew, not in any other language. You only sing in Hebrew, not in any other language, because that is the language that God understands. This is the doctrine that is being presented, and if you were to look at chapter 14 from that context, you can very easily read this very differently. Let me start out in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, beginning in verse 2 again. Beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2, He says, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. If you were to read it from this bias that I have been describing, then you can see that a person can be praying to their God, can speak to God in their prayer in a public assembly. They can pray in a language that they do not understand, but perhaps God understands, and this is definitely going to be a mystery. And so people who are there listening to someone else praying are certainly not going to understand what they are saying. The person who is speaking is certainly not going to understand what they are saying. But it's not because there's some miraculous event of God performing some uncontrollable vocabulary that's going to be coming out of your mouth. This is a choice that is being made. It is a choice to speak in a language that you do not know. And based on the traditional worship in a synagogue, this is what they were quite likely doing. Understand that when Paul went to Corinth, he first went to the synagogues, and he reached out to the people there. So the early believers, the first believers in Christ Jesus there in Corinth, were quite likely either Jews or they were converted Jews. And so they would be coming out of the synagogue and would be trying to reestablish a church. It should not be unexpected to consider that they would be adopting many of the things that they were already accustomed to within the synagogue to perform them here. So if you were to consider that, then continue on in verse 3. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish that you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks in tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. Now here is just a comparison between tongues and prophecy. But then continuing on in verse 6, But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? In other words, a person can speak in a language, and subsequently they will be able to prophesy, they will be able to teach, they will be able to reveal a revelation or a word of knowledge by the clear communication that would be presented from one person to another. Clear communication. Continuing on in verse 7, Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if a trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. 
You see, understand that there is a choice that is going to be made. You choose, you decide if you're going to speak in a language that a person understands or speak in a language that they do not understand. And if you speak in a language that they do not understand, but perhaps you know, then you will just be speaking into the air at best. Continuing on into verse 10. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Therefore, let him who speaks a tongue pray that he may interpret... For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. All right, now here's the transition. He's saying very clearly that there are many languages at your disposal, many languages that you can speak in, and you can choose to try and speak in a different language with hopes that God will miraculously interpret on the hearer's behalf so that they can understand what it is that you are saying. You can try to force the issue. You can try to inspire God to perform a miracle. I believe that's probably what was being described here. But when you see it followed up with verse 13, therefore let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. It's not just, oh Lord, I pray that I may interpret, but pray that you may interpret. In other words, consider whether or not you are going to interpret, as it says in verse 14, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. All right, so your spirit may pray because you are praying in a different language, but your understanding is unfruitful if you don't understand what you are saying. And the person who is hearing is not going to experience any benefit because they don't understand what is being said. So it can go both ways. Now, if you consider that you are speaking in a language that you know, then certainly you understand what you are saying. But in the synagogue, what they were teaching was that a person needed to pray in Hebrew, whether they knew the language or not. The first thing that a person normally learns in a religious experience in the synagogue is how to pronounce the language. Most Jews know this. Most Jews can read the text, but it's very unusual to find anyone who has any idea what these words mean, with the exception in the nation of Israel, where people are now using the language, using the Hebrew language as the official language. But in general, throughout the course of history and in other countries, most people have no idea what they're praying. They have no idea what they're saying. And so this is the bias that I use when reading this passage, is that if you consider the historical context of the establishment of a synagogue and consider that the Corinthian church would have been established from the premise of a synagogue or from the beginnings of a synagogue, then it's not unrealistic to consider that there are people that are in this congregation that are quite likely trying to continue the prayers that they were praying in the synagogue, trying to continue the songs that they were singing in the synagogues. There are very wonderful songs, and they have a great melody. There are many congregations to this day, congregations that are normally identified as messianic congregations, that sing songs in Hebrew, and the whole congregation sings the song, and yet they have absolutely no idea what they are saying. They have no understanding whatsoever. And they'll say prayers in Hebrew and have no idea what they're saying at all. No clue. And yet they feel that they have experienced a greater spiritual experience and a greater connectivity with God because they are speaking in the holy language. People do that even to this day. Why would you be surprised if that was happening back then? Paul gives the very powerful conclusion, though, in verse 14, when he says, What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. This is a choice that you make. 
in verse 16. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. You see what it says there in verse 19? I would rather. He has the option to choose. Is he going to speak 10,000 words in a language that he doesn't understand or that nobody else understands? Or is he going to say five words that both he understands and everybody else understands and his choice is clear? His decision is clear. And so given the presentation that you have a choice, that you can make an active decision, I would not interpret chapter 14 on the basis of the experiences that we see happening in several denominations in the church today. I would instead interpret this based on the experience in a synagogue, considering that the focus of prayer and singing in a synagogue was to pray in the Hebrew language. And if you consider that, if you're willing to consider that perspective, then in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we do not have a description of what is popularly expressed today as the gift of tongues. We have something very different. We have a practical experience where a person has to choose what language they're going to speak to people in and what language they are going to pray in and also in what language they are going to sing in. That is a decision that a person makes. This is outside of the miraculous intervention or manifestation of the Holy Spirit of God, which was clearly presented in Acts for the purpose of enabling clear communication between people. Instead, what we see today is greater confusion. That's what we see. And so this is the bottom line. This is what we really need to be thinking about. And that is, is what we see today described as the gift of languages or the gift of tongues? Is that what is recorded in the scriptures? Do they correspond? And as I have explained in these four broadcasts, I do not see a correlation. I do not see what we see today in a modern expression of what people call the gift of tongues. I do not see it in the scriptures. In the scriptures, I see something very different. And so given that, I would hesitate to suggest that what we see today is actually a true, real manifestation of our God. I do sincerely question that. Now, I don't expect that I will have the answer to this question in all cases. I am not looking to have the answer to this question in all cases. I sincerely believe that this is going to have to remain a personal decision, a decision that you make, a decision that I make, with regards to the subject, with regards to how we're going to see it, with regards to what we are going to believe, and with regards to how we are going to respond to it, this is going to become an individual decision. But in all sincerity, I sincerely believe that we should be very cautious with something that I do not see found in the Scriptures. If I do not see something in the Scriptures, I do hesitate and encourage other people to seriously hesitate to look at something as though it is from God, when in fact, it may very well not be. This is something that everyone will have to consider on an individual basis and seek the Lord for how He looks at this subject. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 
3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-